should we be worried about another COVID lockdown? Or should we be worried about a hot war? Or perhaps both? And how Larry Sinclair could actually be helping Michelle Obama. This is the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. Top story, COVID. Whoopi has COVID. Jill Biden has COVID. Joe doesn't have it. But he is wearing masks indoors again, so you should take comfort in that. Is this the first time a public figure has gotten COVID this past year? I don't think so. Is it, is it the first time two public figures have gotten it on the same day? I don't think so either. Why is this a story this week when two of them do? A narrative is emerging. For what reason? Perhaps they're foreshadowing Joe getting it. Perhaps this is foreshadowing coming lockdowns. Perhaps it's uh, leading up to something even more. Tucker Carlson says that he's not worried about the COVID lockdowns coming back again, despite Biden masking indoors again. Fauci saying he's worried about potential compliance with mask mandates if they're to come back. I don't know if he said mandates, but he's worried about compliance is what he said. What Tucker says he's worried about is a hot war with Russia. Is COVID not a way to expedite a hot war with Russia and China, if that's what they want to do? They have warmed to the theory of COVID being a bioweapon that was intentionally created and released from China. Now, that explanation is right there for them to use whenever they want to expedite a potential hot war with them. And a hot war with Russia is going to eventually be a hot war with China. That's where the Great Reset is mapping this out, or they have been anyway. Or they could just be doing all of this because they're rolling out that same playbook again, preparing to lock us down for the 2024 election, just like they did during 2020. Can you believe it's been almost four years since all of this started? Isn't that crazy? It seems like yesterday that it's all started. Time is compressed. Speaking of China... It was recently reported that Chinese nationalists posing as tourists have snuck onto U.S. bases over 100 times in recent years, intent on collecting sensitive information about those bases and, you know, the, whatever Americans are on them. This is according to the FBI and the Department of Defense. Now, American authorities believe that the Chinese government is forcing citizens into service so that they can report to Beijing and reveal certain security protocols at U.S. installations. An anonymous former Senate Intelligence Committee official explained to the, the Wall Street Journal that this type of low-level Chinese collection is likely a numbers game, meaning that the Chinese government is willing to send a large number of people to the U.S., assuming that if only a few of them are caught, it would be impossible for the U.S. authorities to establish any connected foreign wrongdoing by trespassing. An FBI spokesperson responded to the Wall Street Journal report saying that the greatest long-term counterintelligence threat to our nation's information and intellectual property is from China. The Chinese government is engaged in broad, diverse, in a broad, diverse campaign of theft and malign influence without regard to laws or international norms that the FBI will not tolerate. You see, the left and the right don't always agree on the Russian threat, at least not all the way through. But they do agree on the Chinese threat. That's one they can both get behind. Several U.S. officials informed at Wall Street Journal that those responsible, referred to as gate crashers, included Chinese nationals who were captured a few years ago. They had entered a U.S. missile range in New Mexico, and scuba divers were seen in murky waters near a rocket launch 
near a rocket launch site off of Cape Canaveral in Florida. Additionally, some Chinese nationals allegedly utilized drones in sensitive areas in order to get close, in-depth aerial images of key military facilities around the country. Pentagon reported instances of individuals speeding through security checkpoints. Other instances of trespassing include Chinese nationals at the White House leaving their visitor tours in order to take photos of the grounds, communication equipment, and positions of Secret Service, and other guards, according to U.S. officials. Everyone spies on everyone. I, I, isn't that clear? I mean, we all know that. Everyone is always spying. All these countries. The question is, why are they making us aware of this particular instance of foreign spying when we know that it happens all the time and we do it all the time as well? I don't know. I believe that they want to put the threat of China in a more salient position in people's minds. And the closer and closer they can tie the threat of China to that of Russia, which they've already established uh, a threat a threat of in people's in a large portion of the population's mind. They built up the Russian threat. Now they're trying to build up the China threat so they can make sure they're nice and firmly tied together if they do want to launch some sort of global war. In other related news, Democrats and some Republicans are trying to disqualify Trump from running for the 2024 election, trying to get his name off the ballot under the 14th Amendment. Representative Adam Schiff and Senator Tim Kaine said on Sunday that there's a strong case for disqualifying Trump from the ballot due to Section 3 of the amendment, which prevents anyone who is engaged and who has engaged in insurrection across the United States from holding elected office. Now, Trump obviously is not even being charged with insurrection, nor, nor did an insurrection even happen, but they would like to remove him anyway for this illusion that they created, while at the same time, Sentencing someone who they claim was one of the leaders of orchestrating this illusion, who wasn't even at the Capitol on January 6th, that alleged leader of the Proud Boys, has been sentenced to 22 years in prison. The timing of this guy getting sentenced to 22 years, you know, because they've, they've had these guys, they've been holding them for a while. These trials have been going on for a while. This could be to put pressure on states to remove Trump because it's coming at the same time that those calls are increasing to get him off the ballot by highlighting the long prison sentences that people got for being involved in what they claim uh, was this insurrection. And if this guy's getting 22 years and Trump, who they say is the master of it all, that could be used to make their argument for states to take Trump off the ballot. Now, all of this is completely crazy. There's no doubt about that. I mean, this administration... I think if the correct history is told, would probably go down as one of, if not the most corrupt in American history. But that doesn't change the fact that it's going on right now. In this push to get Trump's name off the ballot, two Democrat nonprofits with the very Orwellian names of Free Speech for the People and Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous are moving forward with a push to pressure states to get on board with their argument, their 14th Amendment argument, that Trump shouldn't be on the ballot, with the threat of a lawsuit if they don't. They could sue states, which could lead to a series of appeals, and then that could take the case all the way of whether or not Trump should be on the ballot to the Supreme Court right in the middle of the 2024 election season. It's almost like they're trying to cause chaos. There are two ways that anti-Trump groups could pursue to remove him from the ballots. The first is to urge state election authorities, such as Secretary, Secretaries of State, 
to rule that Trump should be excluded. If an election authority decides that Trump is ineligible, the former president can challenge that determination in court. And the second route is a candidacy challenge through state election board complaints and lawsuits. The focus so far is expected to be on the state's primary balance. Each state has its own standards for determining candidate eligibility. Some states have specific statutory mandates to review the, the qualifications of the candidates, while others are less explicit about how election authorities determine who is ineligible. Depending on the location, a challenge is filed to an administrative body such as a board of elections, or it may end up being filed directly in court. States are also on different timelines, given that primary election dates vary, but the GOP presidential primary season begins in early 2024. How do they determine that season? Pretty sure it's already begun. We're doing polling numbers. We have interviews with candidates each week. We have the 40-person primary debate going on. I'm pretty sure the season is here and the campaign season never ends at this point, which is what they want because campaign is conflict. And so they can always have people campaigning for office in a very divisive fashion. They can always keep people divided and conquered and not together looking to see what these POSs are doing. Putting people in prison for 22 years, for 17 years, for some sort of organized conspiracy that obviously isn't there and for some sort of insurrection that was fabricated. The story of it anyway. Not to say there wasn't people acting stupid that day, but you have to qualify that so you don't get your video pulled off of YouTube. But what's going on right now with the persecution of some of these people and this attempt to take Trump off the ballot if it's legitimate? You know, if they actually remove him from the ballot, that's people are going to start to get really pissed there. Sure, they can write him in. Will they count those? I think if they can get him removed from the ballot, they can also say that they, they can't even be counted. Maybe they'll just start arresting the people that wrote them in as a vote as well. You know, might, might as well lock them up too. This just further demonstrates that right now, the justice system is not in the business of pursuing justice. They're in the business of ensuring injustice. And those using it for this purpose don't even care that everybody knows. Some people support their abuse of power because they're stopping someone they've been led to believe is evil. How do we bridge that gap? I mean, it's all such a divide and conquer thing. People have become so, not everyone, but many people have become so uh, linked and, and they identify with the source of information so much that they, they're unable to separate the information from the source it came from. And their perspective on it is completely determined by whoever told them the information. Because they either like them or hate them. And that has to stop. People have to be able to separate the information from the source of information. An evaluated absence of the judgment projected into it from the people who deliver it to them. That's not an easy thing to do, even though it sounds easy. If we didn't know where it came from. It's crazy, right? Because... Anonymous sources is like, can you trust them? But it's gotten to a point where, where people uh, can't even, they, they have no way of objectively analyzing information because they are so familiar of where the sources that it come from are. And that determines it. So you remove that component that determines it, 
And suddenly, maybe they start evaluate, evaluating the information again. I mean, we've all seen those videos where somebody goes up to somebody on the street and says, hey, so-and-so said this. Oh, Trump said this thing. How awful is it? And, and they're like, oh, my gosh, that's so awful and evil. And then the person says, well, Biden said that or Hillary said that. And it's like, what? It's, it's just an illustration of what I'm talking about. The, the way to overcome all of this, uh, the control mechanisms, the powers that be have, is for people to disassociate information from the source it came from and evaluate the information alone. Now, sometimes there's going to be statements and stuff where you have to trust the source or at least a little bit, hope that they're not completely fabricating it. But I'm talking about judgment information like the Hunter Biden laptop. Had people just looked at that instead of trusting the sources that they shouldn't look at it, then the outcome might have been different if they would have allowed it to be different. But to me, the best way to resist for everyone on all sides is by embracing the truth, especially the truths we don't like. Because if we can't do that, then how can we expect people who we disagree with or who disagree with us, how can we expect them to embrace the truths they don't like. If no one can do that, then our destiny is determined. Everybody has to be open to the possibility that they are wrong about some things politically, that they're wrong about some of these politicians that they identify with so strongly. I mean, you could even start that general. Everybody just embrace that something you believe that has created the myth of awesomeness in your mind about this politician you support. Everybody just agree that you are wrong about at least one thing about that. At least one thing. They've all lied. I don't care if you think they haven't. They've all lied. All of them. Yeah, can they explain it? Yeah, you have ways to explain it, of course. They all have ways to explain it. Well, I'm lying or I lied because that person's an evil devil. Don't minimize the lies. Because the other side doesn't. Now, if we can recognize lies that people we disagree with minimize or, or maximize, maybe we minimize and then say, okay, that is a deception. You're right. Let's talk about it. And then maybe we can bring down their over-exaggeration of certain lies, maybe bring up their under or their minimization of others and start to come to a more objective truth. But it all starts with doing the things that we criticize the others for never doing. Which even, even if we feel that the stuff we believe in is right all the time, and look, in some instances, it does seem more clear than others. But still, find the things that you're wrong about. Be willing to embrace the things that, that you're wrong about and... That doesn't make you, it doesn't make you a, a worse supporter of whoever you support. It makes you the best supporter of whoever you support. Because if you're trying to win supporters, or trying to give people your argument about why you do or support who you support, then someone who can recognize the faults and legitimately say, I do have a problem with this, is so much more influential in a one-on-one conversational basis, with regular people anyway, 
than someone who just goes along with every freaking thing that anyone says. Nobody's always right about anything. Nobody's always wrong about anything. We should all start there. I think people have lost that. A quick underreported story of the week, and I have very little information about this outside of a few images and one caption to every image, which is something that I've noticed that the, the Department of Homeland Security does. They post these photo collections of DHS events that you can find no other news on besides those photos on their website. There's a number of collections on their official site that fall into this category. And you, you can see a, a couple of them here. Secretary Alexandro Mayorkas, the world's shortest, tiniest man, delivers remarks at the 2023 CISA Chemical Security Summit. Now, I did find a short intro video on this one, but other than that, nothing else. And another one is DHS Secretary Alexandro Mayorkas gives remarks at the 2023 Blacks in Government National Training Institute, which I found some information about this event, but no further details on what he actually said or any of the actual training. Maybe they'll come online sometime later. I don't know. And the one that I talked about last week, DHS Secretary Alexandro Mayorkas gives remarks at the CISA Tabletop the Vote 2023 National Election Exercise. Very little other information on that as well. And one that I noticed from last week also, this is DHS host UAS demo for Five Eyes Partners. For Five Eyes Partners. Now, the Five Eyes, as I'm sure you're familiar, are the intelligence alliances that we have, which include Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and the United Kingdom. It's the alliance where if our government is technically not supposed to spy on us because it would violate our constitutional rights, they'll just have one of the members of the Five Eyes do it and then share the intelligence with them so that they technically didn't violate our rights. And apparently Homeland Security hosted a demonstration of counter-unmanned aerial systems. They have a, a new program, and they had this demonstration for their Five Eyes partners at the DHS headquarters in Washington, D.C. on August 24th. And all of the images here, there's a whole bunch of images, you can see them, they all have the same caption. Like that one, I believe, no, I thought maybe that was Kamala's husband for a second. But it's not, I don't know who that guy is because none of the captions are different. They all say the same thing, which is what I just read to you. So seeing as these counter-unmanned aerial systems programs are just the drones themselves, which are drones. Counter-drones are just drones. A counter-punch is a punch. Sometimes we just like to call a preemptive punch a counter-punch. And seeing as this technology has the potential to violate people's privacy rights and how it's being demonstrated to those Five Eyes members who aren't bound by our constitutional rights, it does raise an eyebrow. And a little bit more information would be nice. Basically, UAS is a threat. The unmanned aerial system, so the counter program, seeks to meet that threat by developing more advanced UAS. That's basically the gist of one little short video from a few months ago and the fact sheet that I found. And you see this demonstration in the news. Well, you don't see it in the news. You see it on the DHS website through images. And then a week later, you have the story about the New York Police Department deploying drones to monitor Labor Day weekend gatherings. And what stood out to me about that story is the New York PD's growing reliance on these drones for such policing activity 
In 2022, in fact, according to city data, police departments in New York City used drones for public safety or emergency purposes just four times in all of 2022, while so far this year, they've used them 124 times. That is a 3,100% increase in drone usage for policing purposes, which one notable case of that drone usage was that video game giveaway by the YouTuber that devolved into chaos in Times Square a few weeks back. So, something to keep an eye on there. All you got to do is look up and you'll see them. There was a point in time where I could see over where I live a bunch of what, at first I'm like, whoa, are those UFOs or UAPs? Of course, that term hadn't come to my mind yet at this point in time. And then I realized they were just drones hovering because there was a program they were working with Georgia Tech with, on uh, the police departments in the area, and they were just looking for stuff to call emergencies into. I can see where it could be useful, but I could also see how it could be just a mass surveillance program that is always watching. So, before we get to the final story of the day, which is going to be about Tucker's interview with the man who claims to have had sex with Barack Obama and how these revelations could actually help Michelle Obama. I want to tell you what we're going to talk about in the DMB XR, the subscriber-only portion of the show, which is why, if given the opportunity, you should never date Britney Spears and maybe some other weird stuff, depending on how much time that takes. If you want to get access to that subscriber-only content, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report. It is how I support the show, how I support myself. What you will get along with that subscriber-only content is you will get this show, the Drive Time News Blast ad-free. I take out all of the ads for subscribers, and I put it together with the subscriber-only content, and it goes into your own private, personal RSS feed that you can then take from Patreon and pop in to any podcast player you listen on. And as soon as I upload the show, it will upload automatically to your Patreon RSS feed and whatever app that you listen on. So, patreon.com slash propaganda report. Subscribe there today. Okay. Now on to the final story of the day. I haven't watched the Larry Sinclair interview yet. As of this recording, it hasn't been made public yet. Only the teaser video where information that I've known and you guys have probably known about for years, if you have watched any of Larry Sinclair's press conferences, where he talks about getting in a limo, Barack Obama being in there, and watching Barack Obama smoke cocaine and him engaging in fellatio with Barack Obama. And I can't remember if he says he has sex with them, you know, full sex or, or not. I don't know. But this is not a new story. And I'm sure there'll be some great sound bites from the Tucker Carlson interview. But the question for me is, why is this even a news story? I mean, is Tucker merely taking advantage of the other Obama might be gay news stories that have come out lately or something else going on here? I don't know the answer to that question, but the impact of it, I can speculate about anyway. Even if Larry Sinclair were to come out and produce hard evidence that what he's saying about Barack Obama is true, a blue dress of his own, if you will, would this in any way harm Barack Obama's reputation or his power and influence? I don't think so. I think it could actually help not only him, but his wife, Michelle. You know, some people have other ideas about Michelle, but I think it could help them both. It would give Barack Obama the perfect opportunity to do like Wayne Brady just did and come out as pansexual. 
which is being attracted to people of all genders, regardless of their sex, because they're not attracted to the body per se. They're attracted to the person. And this is kind of what Barack it, it describes himself as in those college letters to his ex-girlfriend when he was 21 and talking about fantasizing about having sex with men. In those letters, he says, in regard to homosexuality, I must say that I believe this is an attempt to remove oneself from the present, a refusal perhaps to perpetuate the endless farce of earthly life. Maybe he's an alien. You see, he loves making love to men daily, or he makes love to men daily in his imagination, he says. His mind is androgynous to a great extent, and he says that he hopes to make it more so until he can think in terms of people, not women as opposed to men. But in returning to the body, he says, I see that I have been made a man, and physically in life, I choose to accept that contingency. Pansexual. Obama is pansexual. And this story, along with those others, provides that perfect opportunity, as I said, to come out as such. This is the type of thing that Democrats celebrate. I mean, he'd be called brave if he did that. Now, he could say that it, there was a stigma around coming out as that back at the time this was going on, which is maybe why he kept it close. But it would justify him having what he says is a female wife. Some disagree. She claims to be a female. Either way, it wouldn't matter, though, because pansexual is attracted to everything. So that would be no problem for him. The problem would be the infidelity part because this happened in 1999, according to Larry Sinclair. So Obama would just have to explain the infidelity. He was married to Michelle at the time, and he can explain that away by saying that he had a problem with drugs at the time. That's another thing that was stigmatized, and it was personal, it was private. There was no need for people to know about that. He overcame it. And his relationship with his wife has never been stronger. And Tucker Carlson, he can even demonize Tucker, saying he's, he feels the need to bring it out in the open. He's not afraid. Obama can say he's not afraid of it. And then Michelle Obama will then have not only a pansexual husband to be celebrated if she were to decide to run in 2024, which a lot of people want her to. She will also be able to do what Hillary Clinton did, although unsuccessfully. She'll be able to run as a woman somewhat scorned as a woman who was cheated on by someone who had a drug problem for a little while, but who overcame that problem only to strengthen the relationship and he himself became president. A way to relate to a broader base of voters is what this could give her. Also, wild support from Democrats and progressives by having the first pansexual first husband and first husband in the White House. That's how this would help Michelle Obama. That's how it would be spun, in my opinion. I don't see any way that this damages Barack or damages Michelle if she were to run. There, there's just no angle that it's going to damage them, that it can't be spun into a benefit that aligns with the values of the voters that they target. And pansexual gay Obama is where I'm going to wrap up the show. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. We'll talk to you next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.